Hello and welcome to a special anniversary episode of Diminishing Returns. We've been going for just over a year now, so we thought it would be a good time to take a look back at the last six months of movie-going experiences that we've been having since the last review of the year episode that we did in December. As well as discussing all of these recent releases, Alan's prepared a few games, an interview with his mum, things like that. The films covered in this episode include... Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, Rogue One, Split, Resident Evil The Final Chapter, Rings, Fifty Shades Darker, Logan, Kong Skull Island, Beauty and the Beast, the recent remake, Power Rangers, Ghost in the Shell, The Fate of the Furious, Season 4 of Bates Motel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Alien Covenant, Pirates of the Caribbean 5, Wonder Woman, and even sort of the mummy, kind of. Obviously, there's lots and lots of spoilers in this episode, but they're all pretty minor. The only ones I'd worry about, if you haven't seen M. Night Shyamalan's recent film Split yet, we do uh, discuss some fairly major spoilers for that film, so that segment's near the start. Once it starts, maybe skip ahead about ten minutes. Then later on, there are some significant spoilers for Logan once we discuss that film, which is just after a bit about the Oscars, but before the bit about Kong Skull Island, so again, you might want to skip ahead if you haven't seen it yet. Then later on, there are some reasonable spoilers during our discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where we also spoil The Avengers if you've somehow not seen it yet. Enjoy! Diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the birthday episode, guys. Yeah, we're a bit late. Uh, two weeks late. Yeah, yeah. are we? Because <laughs> we wanted to do the mummy. No, yeah. it's not Suicide late. Squad. This is episode fifty-three, isn't it? Yeah, we're one. We're no, 50, one week late. Fifty-four. Is it? Okay, we're a week late, but uh, isn't That's that right, very man. much in keeping with our ethos? Yeah, we've never been late. <laughs> we've never released a show late. Well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it, we've been doing it for a year. That's mad. Yeah. I thought we started in July. It's only June. What's that about? We well, we started in June, so that's what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. Wow, a year. Oh. Uh, yeah, so we, we thought we'd celebrate doing it for a year by ensuring that our review of the year episode in December isn't six hours long and and making a start on it, looking back at what we've been watching and talking about for the last six months. A review a review of the half year. Yes. yes. But it's it's a it's a special episode beyond that. We've got all sorts of stuff coming up. Prizes to be won. Yeah. I've lined up some special guest stars. Um, I'm gonna introduce them for uh they're here. Actually? Yeah they're they're here with me right now. We've got Teller from Penn oh. and Teller. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, okay, let's guess who else he's got. Characters okay. that don't talk. Come on. Uh, Sooty. Hodor. Oh, no, he says Hodor. <laughs> Sweep. 
No, it's sooty. <laughs> Sweet <donk>. talks. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yes. He just sort of. Oh yeah, no, you're right. He's there. That's not how he talks. Uh, who else doesn't talk? Uh, oh, let me guess. I'm, I'm going to get at least one. Jaws. No. <laughs> Which one? Did you mean the Bond uh, villain? Because I thought you meant the shark when you said it. <laughs> no, I meant the Bond villain. Oh, I thought the shark as well. I've uh, got the late Harpo marks here. <laughs> oh, well, can he play the harp for us? No, no, he's not brought it with him. Oh, and he's dead, so... Well, that, that, that too. And uh, Kevin Smith's here, but he's in character as Silent Bob. He's, he's trying to get into... Oh, so he'll, he'll deliver about four, four lines in a, about half an hour then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an insightful uh, wrap-up of what so we've sort been of, discussing. Sort of a fil- philosophical uh, journey for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do have an actual special guest today, don't we, Alan? You've, you've uh, done some uh, interviews with uh, your mother, I believe. I did a quick interview with my mum. Uh, because she's seen some of the films we're talking about. Uh, yeah, but I, I thought, well, it's mostly going to be about Fifty Shades of Grey, because I thought it'd be interesting to get a, a female <laughs> perspective on that. So, uh, oh yeah, we'll come to that later. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that. So, shall we jump right in? Yeah. Yes. Well, we, before we start reviewing uh, this this batch of episodes, do we need to catch up on things we missed from the previous episode? Yes, yes I um, I hadn't seen Miss Peregrine's House of Frasier when we watched it or discussed about <laughs> oh, talked <damn>. about it. <laughs> I don't even know where Frasier came from. There's not even anyone from Frasier in the film. The House of Frasier is a shop. Oh, House of Frasier, that lovely shop. Oh, I was in there just last weekend, actually. <laughs> I have a membership card. Uh, very good, very good. Very good shop. So, Sol, um, if if you'll remember, I wasn't a huge fan of the film, but nonetheless thought it was okay, and probably defended it more than it was worth against Alan, who despised it. I did. Um, <laughs> but then Alan, Alan also liked Suicide Squad when he first saw it, so we can't take his initial reaction about of any film into uh, into proper consideration now. Well, you know. So I um, think I still think Miss Peregrine's home for the the uh, realistically challenged is uh, a really really. <laughs> shit film so Saul Kingmaker wake up I want to predict I predict that Saul will be like yeah it's alright Tim Burton sort of coming down the peak rather than up but it's alright that's my that's my prediction I think he's going to give it a 5 out of 10 Alan what do you think I'm going to give it 7 (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate it but give it a 7 anyway no to be honest I think 5 is really about right actually yeah Ooh, well, um, you've both gone a bit high there. <laughs> Whee! <laughs> oh, no. oh, dear. Uh, oh, you hated it then? Uh, well, no, I didn't hate it. It was a weird one. I, I absolutely hated the first 40 minutes. I was getting ready to jump to Alan's defense and... and... <laughs> Say wow! Uh, I, d- I don't know what's happened. Like I don't. I do genuinely mm. wonder what has happened to Tim Burton that he made that film. Mm. Um, but it was specifically the point in the film where uh, we we get that flashback of the Samuel L. Jackson club and they kind of turn into monsters. That it began to feel like Tim Burton was having fun again, and mm. from about that point onwards, it suddenly just got very inconsistently but fun 
there, there's sequences like the bit at the fun fair where all the skeletons come barging oh, out yes. of the the haunted house to fight those slender man things which felt mm. incredibly tim burtony um mm. it just took about an hour to get to any of that stuff in the film. And I, mm. I loved all of the stuff that played like a horror movie for kids. I, I really loved all of that. So it kind of redeemed itself in the last act a bit. But it, I mean, it was a load of absolute nonsense and poorly plotted and a lot mm. of the acting was questionable. I, I don't know what Chris O'Dowd was trying <laughs> to achieve. Um, uh even Samuel L. Jackson, who was obviously having a lot of fun, seemed fairly miscast. But, I don't know, towards the end, like I say, it felt very Tim Burton-y, and that uh, redeemed it a bit for me, made me glad to have seen it, and uh, means that I will be watching Tim Burton's future films instead of writing him off like I was getting ready to do. So, yeah. But I'd still say it's probably his worst film ever made, so I guess I am in the Alan Whoa! This. <laughs> More than Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, because wow. Alice in Wonderland was more coherent and properly put together, even if it was more consistently dull. Mm. Planet of the Apes. Mm. Well, we'll get to that in a few weeks. Actually, <laughs> so let's, let's leave that for now. But yeah, I give it a four out of ten, which is the same score I give to Planet of the Apes, Alice in Wonderland, and uh, Dark Shadows, actually. Oh. So what's our average diminishing returns score for that, then? I don't know. What did you guys give it? You gave it a two, Alan. I gave it a two. I may have given it a six, I think. Mm, four, then. Maths, maths with Alan. <laughs> well, yes. Divides by three. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll say this much. It's it's much better than Suicide Squad. Like, there's no question it's better than that film. <laughs> so after that little diversion there, um, another film we did in our last review of the year episode was Rogue One, but the film mm. I think I think the film literally came out the day we recorded, so we none of us had seen it. Mm. I assume we've now all seen it, right? Oh yes. So bearing in mind that we will be covering this at some point in the future, brief thoughts, opinions? I, I loved it. As a probably the biggest Star Wars fan here, it was exactly what I wanted from any kind of a prequel um, Star Wars film. Like, a lot of what happened in it should have already really been shown in Episode 3, the forming of the Resistance and the Death Star plans and all that kind of stuff. That was It was a true sort of film for fans, um, unlike the prequels, which was just something that George Lucas wanted to see, and only George Lucas. Uh, I thought it was really brave as well, actually. Mm. Uh, like, the, the ending yeah, was should we... very... I, I think, yeah, I mean, spoilers ahead... If you haven't seen yeah. Rogue One, then maybe skip ahead like three minutes. But I expect everyone who cares about it seen it at this point because it, you know, it's a Star Wars movie. So we're probably yeah, it's right out on about. DVD. Yeah. Well, before we get to that, Alan, broadly, how did you feel about it? Um, I liked it, uh, and I'm not a big yeah. Star Wars guy. Yeah, it worked perfectly fine as a as a solid action film with uh, enough emotional drive behind it. I was I was perfectly happy with it. I'm I'm mm. going to be very controversial. Because uh, like you, Alan, I, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Calvin is the only real, like, normal person who likes Star Wars on this podcast. Um, I went to see it. It's probably my second favourite Star Wars film after the first ah. one. So, I mean, that that's, ah. that's probably going to upset a lot of people. I mean, but... if I looked at my ratings, that might be true for me as well. I mean, I, d- I wasn't blown away by it, I'll say, but I I liked it. I really liked the the fact that it was a it was a real war movie. It really embraced the wars yeah. 
element of Star Wars. It, it felt like a throwback mm. to 1960s World War II movies that I'd seen. And it was quite, you know, gritty and true to what it would mean, really, um, in a lot of ways. And whilst yeah. there was a lot of stuff that I didn't like about it, as you alluded to just then, Kevin, the ending really sold me on it. I mean, that's what made it mm. come together and just made it work for me. And and I agree, the ending was really refreshing. Well, mm. I mean, I, I do have something to say about that, because I agree, I liked the ending, uh, and, and the, the fact that they actually followed through with that storyline that, for example, the Batman thing didn't do it. Uh, mm. You know, basically all these films that keep uh, wimping out on it. But I, I do think that that is only because this is set in a world where we already know the result of that. No, you're wrong. They, <laughs> they, um, they originally wrote and I think storyboarded and were planning to shoot an ending in which the main characters uh like fled got to like a little planet or an asteroid or something nearby there was this whole sequence um planned where they escaped and were oh I I think they may well have filmed it when you see some of the original mm. trailers there's footage in there that is no not certainly not in the uh, in the final film of um mm. the main character Felicity Jones's character like running around on the beach yeah. and um, yeah, they probably filmed an awful lot of it. Yeah, and and she had she had a contract for another two films. I mean, I, I think it was probably going to be a case of you know almost everyone dies, but our two heroic leads yes. <laughs> escape to live again yeah. and come back for sequels. But they, yeah, they they seemed like they were absolutely going down the bittersweet ending way of doing it, where the two characters survive, and and uh, it was during production, I believe, that they just sort of thought, you know what, this isn't this isn't the correct ending for this film and let's just embrace what it needs to be. Look, I'd, I'd love to give them credit for it, but I still think that that decision would have been a different decision if it was the end of the franchise. But it's not. They're just oh, going to make course. a different Star Wars film. They're going to make a different spin-off, a different side story, whatever. That's true. But so you I don't... just cited the end of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy as a film series that didn't Well, exactly. They it. could have done it, yeah. And that's the thing, like, I do agree with you, but at the same time, it's refreshing for a franchise to even have the balls to do that. Yeah. At this I level. like the ending. Mm. I'm not going to give them 100% credit for it, but they still did it. So you can, no, what, what can you do? I gave it a seven, which, uh, as I checked, uh, is my second best Star Wars after the original Star Wars. Nine. I, uh, I also gave it a seven. Senior yeah. Sevens! First appearance of the year. Siete. <laughs> That's alright. That, cool. that means Rogue One is a um, a seven point seven. Mm-hmm. I'm rounding up. Should we should we move on to uh, this year? Yeah, let's. Mm-hmm. Not to spoil anything, but um, I've been really happy with my cinema experiences this year. I've I've really enjoyed pretty much everything I've gone to see almost. So mm-hmm. I'm. I'm going to be less negative than I normally am. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we started the year with our M. Night Shyamalan season, the first time we've done a series of episodes on one topic. Yeah. And uh, we were doing that in anticipation of Split. Uh, so once again, um, I think pretty major spoilers to Split are going to be coming out. So skip ahead maybe three minutes if you haven't seen it. Because uh, this is a film with a big load of twists and stuff. Oh, I don't know if I want to hear this. Oh, Calvin, have you not <laughs> seen it? I haven't it? seen it. Oh, no, man. No. What? Oh. Have you not? Have you not had the ending spoiled for you? Oh, I know that um, Bruce Willis is in it. Okay, no, yeah. Well, that's, that's that's the main <laughs> twist, really. And it's it's oh, not a twist then. that really. No, that's not relevant. 
affects the film other than making people like me happy in a pretty arbitrary way. <laughs> mm. Can I make a quick uh, quick aside there while we're talking about Bruce Willis? Um, I, I, like I said, I interviewed my mother about the films she's seen, and, and Split was one of them. I haven't got any sound clips of it just because, you know, it wasn't anything that uh, interesting. Yeah. It was just... But one of the things she said, uh, I asked her about the Bruce Willis thing at the end and if it meant anything to her, because she hasn't seen Unbreakable. And she said, um, she said, no, I didn't really understand that. But I assumed it was just setting up for a sequel. And I, oh, Bruce Willis is going to be in the sequel. But then I thought... No, Bruce Willis can't lead a film nowadays, can he? He's too old. So I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be the uh, the combo team of Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, I believe. So maybe together, between them, they can... Yeah, split. I think our opinion's going to be split on this one, Alan. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Well, um, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the surprise return to form that I'd been hoping for from, from M. Night Shyamalan. Yes, it's it's a cheesy B-movie, very self-aware and, and embracing that, but still ultimately comes with some of the uh, downsides of being a cheesy B-movie. But it's, it's a very well-directed, well-shot, well-acted cheesy B-movie and a very entertaining one. It just felt like M. Night... Uh, giving up any pretensions and any like uh, delusions of grandeur, I suppose, and just embracing kind of lower hanging fruit that you can reach yeah. quite easily. And well, I I agree to a point. Um, I did enjoy it. I think it was well directed. I think it's got that Shyamalan kind of skill. He is a good director. I suppose my issue with it is more the the story of it or. Uh, a lot of it was really exposition heavy. Basically, the the woman who is the the doctor or the psychiatrist or whatever she's supposed to be. Yeah, th- that whole character is just pure exposition. It's That's not fair. done well. Um, so that's tough. Honestly, as much as I think James McAvoy is a great actor, and I think he's doing well here, I think he's wrong for that part. I think he's I just not. I agree. He's not. He's a, he's a little bit too everyman to do yeah. so many different characters. You need you someone a bit was... more kind of rubber faced to to really pull that off without going into caricature. Do you know it was Joaquin Phoenix uh, originally cast in the role mm. and and then he dropped out last minute for some reason, and they had to get a last minute. I'm not sure about that either. I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to see that and, and sort of like, okay, let's see what he can make of it. But I can't say I'm totally convinced by that suggestion either. I mean, I, I, I think it was a great performance from James McAvoy, but I, I agree. Yeah. It, it, it yeah, was kind of... It just of... didn't feel quite right, did it? But, and then those the teen girls I fell a little bit too much for me into that kind of generic teen girl mold, which I think is probably a deliberate choice to kind of set that up as this kind of classic horror movie, hey, these teen girls are here kind of thing, and mm. then play with it a little bit. But I don't know, I just wanted more character from them. And then the one girl, the way you do have all the character, because she has all the flashback scenes and all that, those flashback scenes didn't add enough for me to, to justify the time we spent with them. Just we, we get she's a damaged character, we get it, right? Like that's all we know we know that straight away. I, I don't know. I mean I, I don't wanna I don't wanna get into this one too deep because again we're probably gonna revisit it in a couple of years' time because of the sequel that's now coming out. But mm-hmm. I, I felt that was a good it, it obviously justified the ending of the film. It paid off the the fact that she was kind of abused 
but also it was kind of a red herring. It felt like you were being led to believe she was a uh, a kind of predator hunting prey and she was behaving in this very subdued, subservient way because she was waiting for the right time to strike. And it, it felt like a, a low-level twist to me, mm, frankly, that was nah. just dropped in there. That it was. I mean, of... I thought it was pretty obvious right from the start. <laughs> like it, obviously she was good there was some payoff to all this flashback stuff it was you know there's only one way it could go really i don't know i think i think initially like i say it just seemed like they were setting up she's a um seasoned hunter who who knows how to handle a, a threat like an animal and she was treating him like such i don't know i i, mm. I thought it was enough yeah, well, of a mystery. basically my my other kind of problem with it was in unbreakable we talked about how it trod the fine line between yeah. the supernatural and the normal and, and yeah like, and we, yeah. we cited particular scenes where it could have gone too far and didn't well basically this this film really steps over that line and then runs away from it <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> annoyingly i um i had the the twist spoiled for me before i'd seen it which is that it's set in the same world as Unbreakable, but I do think that primed my viewing experience and allowed me to enjoy it more than I otherwise would. I think if I didn't know that, I would have been frustrated at just how full-blown fantasy, what sci-fi it goes, like, towards the end, how silly Mm. it gets. But the fact that this was, in my head, essentially a continuation of what we'd seen in Unbreakable meant that I was able to go with it like I'd been given a, an hour and a half of build-up before that, if you know what I mean. And it was more of a slow build to this point, so it, it was less of a... The fact that I kind of knew what was going on before it happened just uh, meant I was more willing to go with it, basically. Even though it's obviously far, far beyond anything that you see happening in Unbreakable. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's it's kind of a backdoor sequel to Unbreakable, which is what M. Night Shyamalan meant when he said it had strands of oh no that's strands of dna that's ridley scott of prometheus isn't it um what did he say about it but anyway that was just him being coy about the fact that it's basically just a sequel setting up the uh the unbreakable cinematic universe which i i i i I, was completely spoiled by for me like i knew the film had come out and everything but you know when you see those articles on facebook Mm. and it's like what does bruce willis appearing in split mean for the future of this film series i was like oh well i guess he's he guess he's in it then that that end sequence is like I loved it, but it's really shit. <laughs> like objectively, that final scene, it's so poorly written. So <laughs> poor it's just like it's it's just Bruce Willis is sat in a cafe, like watching the TV, the news is going on about what we've just seen happen in Split. And then this Oh yeah, they they what do they say? The the guy is calling himself the Horde, or the media is calling him the Horde or something. And this woman just goes the Horde, that's a silly name. Oh, that reminds me, wasn't there a guy like 15 years ago who had a silly name as well? Uh, uh, Mr. Oh, Breakaway God. or something? And then Bruce Willis just goes, <laughs> Mr. Glass. <laughs> they call him Mr. Glass. And then that's like the end. And it's like, why would anyone Why would anyone make that mental connection? It's just, mm. oh dear. But I loved it. And I can't wait for this um, sequel that's coming. It's interesting M. Night Shyamalan's saying that Split was part of an original draft of Unbreakable that just got too big and long, and he's split it up into three films that he's now making. And I don't know quite how much to buy into that, but yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it works with 
a follow-up as well. To say Unbreakable was tonally a lot more grounded, and 17 years ago it came out as well. Calvin, I think you'll really enjoy Split, but I don't think you'll enjoy the Unbreakable stuff. (laughs) I think think you'll enjoy it in spite of that. Well, we'll see. We'll get to it eventually, I'm sure, when we talk about the next one. Glass, Mm. it's called. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, we're going to do ratings. Oh, of course, yeah. Alan, uh, what what would you give it out of ten? Five. I give it an eight. Oh. And so split... mm, So six and a half provisional with one missing. Yeah. Okay. I think my five's probably a little bit harsh, but it's just because it didn't didn't come together for me. Um, But I, I do have hope for Shyamalan in the future. I'm still... I'm still on board the Shyamalan Express. It's by far the best thing he's done since, um... Well, you might argue since The Village. I'd argue since Signs. <laughs> and I enjoyed it more than Signs, I'll, I'll say, on a personal level, but it's not as well made. Yeah, before we move off, I, I've, I've put a little game together for you, a little test for you, based on Shyamalan's career, to tie in with our Shyamalan, Shyamalan episodes. Okay, are you ready for this? you got your thinking hats on? Uh, oh, okay, yes. I suppose so. Okay, the, this is the question, all right? And there's quite a lot of answers. So I just want you to throw some on me. I'll give you points uh, for answers, right? Okay. Twelve. No. Bruce Willis. <laughs> no. <laughs> no I'll, I'm going to wait till I ask the question and then you can posit your answers. Okay. The question is... Right. Name people who have appeared in a film... Bruce Willis. Night Shyamalan and have also won or been nominated for an Oscar. Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. Samuel L. Jackson. Phoenix. Wait, 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 wait. One at a time, please. Samuel Jackson is correct. <laughs> should, should we take Sol? turns? Yeah, you better take turns. Go back and forth. Okay, All right, so... go Sol first then. I'll give you Samuel Jackson. And, and we've had Bruce Willis and Joaquin Phoenix as well. Calvin got Joaquin. Uh, Calvin, you get Joaquin Phoenix. Bruce Willis is, has never been Oscar nominated. So. Has he not? Oh! No, he has not. Oh, wow. I just... I mean, I'm not massively surprised. I just thought he would have got one for, like, the sixth sense or something. Oh, no, it was the kid, wasn't it? Oh shit, the kid in Sixth Sense. <laughs> is, that, is that your official answer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Haley Joel Osment is correct, I'll give you that one. Calvin, mm-hmm. your, your turn. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver is correct ah. in The Village. Um, uh, the, Three the, um, Oscar nominations the, for Sigourney Weaver. Mark Zuckerberg, what's he called? Jesse Eisenberg. Correct, that's a good answer. It's one of the more obscure answers, really. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, William Hurt. William Hurt, correct. We're still on The Village. There's a lot of people packed into that. Uh, yeah, there is, isn't there? Mel Gibson, has he ever had one? He has. He's won Oscars for director and producing, uh, but he's never won an acting one, but it still counts as an Oscar, so I'm giving Oh, okay, clue. okay, cool. And that's a clue, because there's a couple more that haven't won for acting, but oh, have yeah. won Oscars. Uh, Calvin's turn. Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody is correct, yes. Best best actor for the penis. This is like everyone in the village, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, it's getting tough now. Okay, um... Okay, uh, Judy Greer, has she ever been Oscar-nominated? No. Fuck. Nice answer. <laughs> she, she's, she's been in a lot of Oscar-y films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bryce Dallas Howard, has she ever been nominated? No, she hasn't. Uh, another one oh. I thought she might have been as well, but yeah, no. Has, has um, Zoe Deschanel ever been nominated for performing <laughs> Best Original Song? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Oh, I thought that might be one of them. <laughs> she's got some Emmys and things like that, but no Oscars. John Leguizamo? No. Uh, I thought of him as well, yeah. I thought that was going to He be was my next... Uh... Yeah, he's the kind of person who would have got like a best supporting nod in like the early 80s or something like that. And... Mm-hmm. What about Paul Giamatti? 
Paul oh. Giamatti is a correct answer. Yeah. Well, well done, well done. Uh, yes. He was... Uh, uh, Paul Giamatti, yeah, he was nominated for Cinderella Man, Best Supporting Actor. Oh, okay. Mm. I thought it was sideways, but there you go. Ooh, oh, I know, I've got one. Wait, wait, it's not your turn. I know. <laughs> Calvin. Oh. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan. M. Oh, M. Night Shyamalan, of course. Answer. Yes. Yes, he's uh, appeared in many of his own films, and he was <laughs> Oscar, nom- Oscar nominated for writing and directing. Uh, mm. Dev Patel? Dev Patel, correct. Ah. Uh, yes, he was Oscar nominated for Lion, was it? Um, who's that old woman in The Happening? Uh, oh. What's her name? It's not Betty Buckley, is it? That's the same woman who's in uh, Split. Oh, her. Uh, but no, she's never been Oscar nominated. So. Oh, good. I was, I was about to <laughs> ask about her from Split. <laughs> James McAvoy, is he for, like, Atonement or something? He has not. But mm. I dare say there's one in the future there. How many have we got left? Four or five, something like okay. that. Okay. Okay. Right, we're, we're gonna I'm get trying it. to think of... Um, uh, are we counting Stuart Little? Oh, no. God. Okay. Okay. Is it just um, films he's directed? Films he's directed, yeah. Uh, let me think. Uh, what else has he done? Who else is There's probably more in The Village, actually. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me see. I'll, I'll, I'll try and knock some off for you, okay? Okay. The Village you've covered. Okay. Uh, oh. Right. So don't worry about that one. Oh, I've got one. Has yep. Bob Balaban ever been nominated for anything? Bob Balaban, who was in Lady in the Water... Was yes. a named producer on the Best Picture nominee, Gosford <laughs> Park. Bob ah, Bob brilliant! Is a I knew answer. it. <laughs> well done. That was one of the, that was probably the most obscure answer, and you've got that. So. <laughs> <laughs> has Has Dennis Leary ever been nominated for something as <laughs> no, a producer or not. something? No, I'm afraid not. But there is someone in that film. Oh well, I know who it is who now. Is it's the list. obvious one that I should. Well, don't say it. It's not your turn. Which film is this? Who's Dennis Leary? <laughs> the one you haven't seen. <laughs> Oh, um, I don't know. Uh, okay, there is still one. one lead person who you haven't got yet. A lead in one of Okay, let leads. me... Let me think. Uh, it can't be Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg has been oh, Oscar nominated. Uh, oh. Mark Wahlberg was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Departed, and he oh. was a name producer on The Fighter, which was nominated for Best oh. Picture. So Mark huh. Wahlberg is a correct answer. Wow. Oh, brilliant. There's another lead, though. There's another lead. Oh. Uh, another lead. Oh, right. So let, let me just think. What films are the... Right, okay. So we've... Um, has Will Smith ever had a nomination for producing something? Ah. Uh, no, he was nominated for Ali and the Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, of course he was. Will Smith, yeah. correct answer. I completely forgot that after her. Okay. Calvin, you want to... Well, I'll have one more go from each of you, and then I'll give you a, a, a clue. So, well, I'll, I'll narrow it down for you. And then... Is this the Dennis Leary one? Uh, there's a couple, There's another one as well. Um, uh, who played Bruce Willis's wife in The Sixth Sense? Was it... Um, uh, it wasn't Hope Davis, was it? Do you know who I mean? Am I, am I completely wasting my time? Well, no, go on. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, okay. Um, well, what was the name? Um, that that woman? No. <laughs> oh, no! No! Shit! It's Tony Collette! Tony Collette! Tony Collette, I'll give you that. Yes. <laughs> I'll you sneaking in on that one. Uh, uh, it's Tony you. Collette. She was nominated for The Sixth Sense, so that was the obvious one. Ah. Oh, okay. Uh, has... Uh, um, uh, um, the kid, the girl, the little girl. What's her name? Not she's not Dakota thingy. The other tell one. It, tell it. Tell me the film. Signs. Yeah. The little girl. Yeah. What's her name? <laughs> um. 
Can I jump in? <laughs> no, he's got it. He's got it. Um, Same thing. The girl. <laughs> Science. <laughs> you know what film she was nominated for? Um, was she Little Miss Sunshine or was that the other one? That's it. She was nominated Best Supporting Actor for Little Miss Sunshine, Actress. Abigail Breslin in that's, name. Yeah, there. that's ah, the one. of course. Okay, right. You've got, there's two left. Okay, so the first one, which is the difficult one, or the very difficult one, is from Wide Awake, which is the one before okay. Six Days, which I don't think you've seen, Colin. It's the one where Dennis Leary no. was uh, yeah. in it. Okay. So uh, unless you can, I'll, I'll give you the answer to this one, unless you can throw something at me. Well, I can, I can take a stab at it. Go on. Okay, well, Rosie O'Donnell, has she ever produced something or been nope. involved in... Is it, is it someone for acting or for, like, an obscure... Yeah, it's an actor. Oh, okay. Uh, Julia Stiles? No, no. I did check that, but no, she's never... Hmm. Hmm. Uh, no, I'm going to have to... Robert Lozier? Robert There he is. I'll just give you that one. Robert yeah. Lozier, nominated Best Supporting Actor for Jagged Edge back in the 80s. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, he plays the granddad in my way. Okay, as far as I can tell, let me just double check my list. You've got one left. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, the one left is someone who appeared in After Earth. Okay. Jaden Smith was nominated for... No, he wasn't, was he? <laughs> oh, no, Um, it's... Oh, God, what's her name? Um, Sophie Okanedo. Sophie Okanedo, oh, who was yeah. nominated the... Best Supporting Actress in Hotel Rwanda. Oh! Ah... Okay. Well, that was fun. Well, the thing is, you're both tied. Oh, oh shit. On nine points each. Do we have a tiebreaker? Well, there is a kind of tiebreaker if you want if you want to have a go at it. But basically, um, the other thing that M. Night Shyamalan has directed was an episode of Wayward Pines. <laughs> in which four Oscar-nominated people oh, appeared. <laughs> but I wasn't including them because it's... But if either of you have seen Wayward Pines and want to throw one in, I'll, I'll call it... I've never seen Wayward Pines. <laughs> Don't you dare go Googling now, Sol. No, I, I'm, I'm intrigued as to if there's anyone from Stuart Little, because I think that should count more than Wayward Pines. Nathan Lane. Gina Davis. <laughs> I don't know about Stuart Little. I didn't look into it. Michael J. Fox. <laughs> okay, I've got, I've got a tie break for and you. I know, I know. Um, uh, Stuart Little, uh, Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, I've got, a, I've got a tiebreaker for you. Okay, um, it's a little bit swayed towards Calvin, I think, though. <laughs> okay, Sigourney Weaver has been nominated uh, for three Oscars. What films? Aliens. Oh, um, Gorilla- Aliens. Yes. Aliens, Gorillas in the Mist, Gorillas in the Mist, and Working Girl, and Working Girl. There you go. I have to give it to Calvin by half a point. Wow. All right, there you go. Well, that was fun. Probably getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to the next film? Yes, let's. Uh, moving swiftly on, the the next one was um, my my uh, personal bugbear, Resident Evil. I've not seen it. Oh. What? I <laughs> know. Oh, it's not out on DVD yet. Oh, yeah, but you're that. the big fan of these films. Yeah. You're the reason but I'm not... probably not making any more in this series. <laughs> I'm not so much a fan that I would go to the cinema by myself to see it. <laughs> and no one no one in the right mind's going to go with you. <laughs> so I I was I was going to uh yeah, I was going to wait until it came out on um Blu-ray and watch it in the comfort of my own home so I could cry openly at the ending. <laughs> it's no doubt going to be an emotional final chapter in the series. Um, Alan, you've seen it. Uh, please don't spoil too much for me about the ending. But, um, I just want to know. 
I honestly can't remember what the ending is, so don't worry about it. Oh, that. well, fine. <laughs> I was going to ask if it's conclusive. Is this really the final chapter, or will we be looking at another Mila Jovovich Resident Evil film in a couple of years' time? Well, I can tell you a bit about that, but uh, I'll save that till after Alan's given his opinion. Well, you know, we're talking about Rogue One, how they uh, followed through on the kind of ultimate sacrifice storyline. This one doesn't? Yeah. Well, let's just say it doesn't. <laughs> 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 Is it at the better end of the Resident Evil films or the lower end? Well, I'm, I'm just I'm just looking at the review that I wrote, and it's one of the shortest reviews I've written. I think it's probably the shortest review uh, because it just says it's shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my my sum up line was one of the most worthless set of images ever laid down on film. One out of <laughs> oh, ten. <dear. laughs> oh, it's, I think it's the worst of the Resident Evils. Wow. I think there's only one bad Resident Evil, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the fifth one. Oh dear. Yeah, Jesus. Anyway, I'll be I'll be checking out soon and um I'll um I'll do a little review for our Facebook page oh. after I have. Uh just uh yes. Interestingly, Calvin, it sounds like you haven't heard the Resident Evil news. No, no, I haven't. They are officially moving ahead with a franchise reboot, just like we both suggested ah. in our episode. Mm. And they're mm. planning a six film franchise off the bat, which is a bit don't know how I feel about that, but James Wan is producing, which is oh. very uh, interesting news. Um, sounds like they are going to try and make real horror films, I suppose. Although he also made the mm. Fast and Furious, whichever one it was, so maybe he'll split the difference between the two. <laughs> um, I'm fine with that. Mila Jovovich has, has come out and warned them to... Uh, but she she's warned them that they've uh, they've got to make sure that these films are made by people who love the games and have respect for the source materials. So I uh, my opinion of hers dropped somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> she is sort of casting stones in glass houses, there, isn't she? It's not the most. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like she's never watched one of her films back. Alan, I, I believe you've got another game for us. Yes, this is very quick. Very quick. This oh. one. Uh, it's just one question, basically. Whoever's closest wins. Okay, so. Paul W.S. Anderson has released 12 theatrically released films. So the question is, closest wins, what is the average IMDb rating of those films? <laughs> uh, uh, it's going to be depressingly high. Much higher than deserved. Yeah. Six I think it's going to be... If this was Rotten Tomatoes, I'm sure it'd be like 20%. But <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go for... I'm going to go bang on six. I'm going to go 6.1. 6.1? Yeah? Yeah. The correct answer is 5.9. Oh! Calvin by a no. point in it. Um, his, wow. best, his best rated films are Event Horizon and Resident Evil, the original 6.7. His worst is Resident Evil Retribution 5.4. Um, See, I told you it was the only so bad one. So there's not much in it at all, really. <laughs> um, should we move on to the next film we covered? Yeah. Uh, it's Rings. Rings. Ah, the delayed episode. Yeah. We did a... a a record quite near the start for the Ring franchise, and then Rings got delayed and delayed, and our episode got delayed with it. Yeah, it was supposed to be in probably towards Halloween, wasn't it? It was like October or something it was supposed yeah. to come out. Mm. And uh, all signs pointed towards the delays being a uh, an indication of the studio not having much faith in the film. <laughs> Have you guys not seen it? I haven't. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much what you'd expect. I got exactly what I expected from a fourth for sequels or whatever it is. Um, Third, I think. It's, yeah, it's just yeah, think so. it's really just a retread of the first film. It doesn't bring really? anything new to it. Yeah, it's hmm. 
it, it tries to embrace like technology, like they 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 send the the tape via the internet and all that sort of stuff. So they 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 handle that pretty well because they don't get too gimmicky about it. What you don't get, which is what I was hoping for, is like a little tiny Samara coming out of a mobile phone screen. Uh, I was really looking forward to that and it didn't happen. How does it compare to the Rings 2? Or the Ring 2, sorry. The Ring 2. Oh, it's better than that, yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, if you're you're into like like shitty, schlocky horror films, then you'll do alright. I am. (laughs) Anyway, uh, next one on. Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades Darker? Mm. Now, we're almost certainly going to be getting to this some other time down the line um, for a proper episode. Um, So I've still not seen it. I'm holding myself back for that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, well, to to do it quickly, I mean, yeah, it's exactly what you expect. It's more of the same. Uh, In fact, it's worse, uh, if anything. It's... Because yeah. because there's no there's actually no story now because the first story is at least like oh they're gonna get together and then there's a problem and then they sort of like have to fall apart. The trailer played it like a kind of thriller. Yeah. Yeah. No. In in the books, <laughs> um, they introduced this so that a few of the characters who you know one of them's out to get Anastasia and there's like a car chase in one of them. I'm surprised to hear that it's plotless, more plotless than the than the first film. Yeah, because the first one didn't exactly have. A story. Well, you know, at the end of the first film, the sort of big cliffhanger is they split up. Okay, yeah. so that's what the second film's going to be, about them getting back together. So, first ten minutes, they get back together. Boom. So, that's that done. So, what's the rest of the film about? Uh, nothing. It's about them. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, this this whole thing could have been done in one film. And this, this film feels like the kind of flabby midsection of a film, where they're mm. still together and we're waiting for something to break them up so they can have a big coming together at the end. And the sex isn't even as good as the first one either. Yeah. And exa- and that's not exactly a high uh, yeah. level, is it? <laughs> well, I, I did talk to my mum about this one because I thought, who are we to judge the, the proclivities of middle-aged women and their films? <laughs> so I thought I'll get a middle-aged woman's view. Now, my, my mother's 68, so uh, she's probably a bit past the, um, <laughs> the target audience. Hello, and welcome to Diminishing Returns. I'm Anne's mother, and I heartily recommend this podcast. Okay, so, first thing, okay, this is going to come across as really sort of wanky academic, but, you know, you know, uh, you, you guys will know about this because you went to film school as well, but uh, back in the 70s, Laura Mulvey wrote a, a very sort of seminal essay about uh, positing the idea of the male gaze in film. Uh, which yes. has become a, a really crucial part of sort of feminist film theory and film yeah. theory in general. Basically, the idea that all films are made from the perspective of men, even if they're about women. Okay, so mm. in in her own sort of layman's terms, I think that's what my mum was trying to say here. So uh, mm. let's give this. So all the visuals in the film are him looking at her. So there's a lot of her in there, naked. Mm. Yeah, no full frontals or all like that. <laughs> but there was actually. Very, very, very little of him. I mean, there were no full frontals of him because she did nothing to him. Well, yeah, I think that's, I think that echoes uh, <laughs> what we were saying in our in our uh, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I was uh, expecting there's, from there's your just mom, Not but... enough sex. <laughs> it just makes sense, doesn't it? For, for listeners, I should I should add that like all I really know of Alan's mum is that she. She will, for example, leave a um, a broken tin opener in the in the, uh, the the drawer with the other tin openers with like a piece of paper attached to it that just says "broken, do not use." 
<laughs> or, um... <laughs> oh yeah, like when the milk was gone off and she put that label on it saying milk has gone off, don't use it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so a little bit more about the the lack of sex okay. in the film. Here we go. Obviously, there's all this hype about the sex. I didn't get that. I didn't. I weren't reading it with. Oh, oh dear! <laughs> there was nothing in there. <laughs> there was nothing in there that I was like shocked with. And the film, in comparison to the book, is so tame. <laughs> there's nothing in it. It's a weird paddle on her ass. Well, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> but there was none of this. It didn't clamp her nipples and butt plugger and all these things that you could see in the red so room. again, I think yeah. echoed our own <laughs> problems. Just... She's quite animated, isn't yeah, she? I'm like, surprised. I wasn't expecting her to sound so... I came away from reading the book as this is a love story. The realisation that he wants her... To the extent that he'll let all that S&M go, I mean, what is that but a classic, I'll give all this up for you. It's a love story. Which makes sense. She's got a point. uh, uh, She sounds like my impression of you, Calvin. (laughs) 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 Well, she's from Yorkshire, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, aye, aye. (laughs) One more clip about the kind of the, the, I think this is about the the general cultural impact of the, the whole thing. The hype on it was, a lot of it in the, the news and that, was that women liked this book and they were getting their men to do this, that and the other. Now, I think a lot of what they wanted was, one, spend more time on me, you know, stroke me up and down with this feather on a stick. None of them wanted hitting. None of them wanted chaining up. None of them wanted, you know what I'm saying? And it was taken out of all proportion. There you go. Oh, so, that's uh, interesting. I, I mean, so yeah, I think uh, I thought I found that quite interesting because, like I say, we we're a very different demographic. Mm. Um, uh, but she really echoed what we thought. I I, I think so. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. After that one, we did Thunderball because um, we okay. yes. we do our Bond stuff, and and then we did the Oscars, and uh, yeah, we we okay. got that uh, very wrong. Have we got any? Have we got any catch up on the Oscars? Because I know Calvin hadn't seen them all. Uh, I haven't gone back to any of them. It's boring Oscar, <laughs> okay. boring Oscar right. films, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, the only real bit of catch up here is that yeah, we were we were way off the mark with our predictions. We we predicted La La Land would win everything, and it didn't. Mm. Well, I don't know. I said it was shit. <laughs> so I didn't predict that. I said Moonlight was my favourite. I didn't think it would win. Yeah, but we were talking about our predictions for the how the ceremony was going to actually go. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, everyone predicted La La Land would win, and I think it's a result of the Academy changing its rules about who votes and who doesn't. That's kind of... I mean, yeah, fair enough. It was, it was my least favourite of the lot, Moonlight, but whatever. Well, we've explained that you're a racist homophobe, but uh, Calvin, you'll like it. You should watch it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Actually, Calvin might not. I was like gonna say it, I, it's, it's about working well. class foreign <laughs> oh. ethnicities, so Calvin. Oh, like oh, it, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't hold many prejudices, but then working class. I'm joking, listeners. I don't have any kind of uh, prejudice when it comes to. <laughs> Anyway, um... (laughs) Yeah, let's move on.
after the Oscars, it was our Wolverine episode. Logan! Tying into Logan. Yeah. Yes. So, none of us were really that excited about Logan, were we? Uh, I, uh, I feel like I, I might have been. I, really, uh, I, 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 don't thought, know, because... I thought we discussed the trailer and we all thought it looked a bit... Yeah. I, I mean, it I gave away too honestly much. honestly remember... I can't remember, but I, basically I liked the film, so now I'm thinking, oh yeah, I was looking forward to it. Yeah, so, no, I know that <laughs> So well. it's hard to judge. I don't, I, I think we were fairly, like, not convinced it was going to be any good, not mm. convinced by the trailer. Um, but, I mean, now now we've seen it, and, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to assume you both agree, it was pretty fucking brilliant, like... For, yeah, for that sort yeah. of film, it was. Oh, definitely, yeah. Especially great. when you compare it to the previous Wolverine yeah. films, and why why I like the Wolverine. I'm not going to defend it as you know great cinema or anything. And Origins was pretty bad, but this was quite lovely. And again, again, another film that well, spoilers killed the hero um, at the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know what that means for the future of the series if they're gonna because they seem to be adamant that this the continuing on this universe that they started yeah. in like the year 2000, but presumably now we're just not going to have Wolverine. Yeah, I mean... That's or you fine. bring in a new Wolverine or whatever. Yeah, but that can't be in the same universe because otherwise... I think any attempt to further the Wolverine mythos will be with that girl. Uh, uh, until they finally reboot the whole thing in a few years' time, which I'm pretty sure they will. I don't think they will for a while. No, they seem to be sticking to the guns with it. Yeah. Uh, especially if Deadpool's doing well. Well, that's it. Deadpool's doing well. And um, the the next one, well, not the next one. They they they've got X Men Go to Space coming out, which I'm, yes. I'm looking forward to. But <laughs> but they've also got um, X Men: The New Mutants, which I'm really mm. looking forward to because it, it's apparently been pitched as a horror film, oh, a straight up like presumably R rated horror film inspired by films like The Thing and stuff, claustrophobic. I'm not entirely sure what. Mm. happens but i'm i'm sold on it purely for that and the fact that i believe they will embrace that because this universe has really started to embrace giving us different flavors and different films within the universe and logan was i mean obviously part of that hot on the heels of the r-rated success of deadpool i mean that r rating made all the difference for me i i know it's largely Mm. superficial like i shouldn't be that excited to to hear you know, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart telling each other to fuck off and, and stabbing <laughs> each other in the face, but but it was it was great. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I think it added to it felt refreshing because this was a truly mature superhero film. And I mean that yes. beyond the R rating. I don't mm. mean you know, because there's not there's nothing mature yeah. about someone slashing someone up with a knife. The subject matter. I I struggle to think of a superhero film this mature that has existed Mm. before, frankly. Stuff like Kick-Ass isn't particularly, you know, it's more puerile than mature. Um, Mm. Zack Snyder's just, like, making nonsense for three-year-olds that's dark and gritty. Well, I I read something, or I heard something, an interview with someone, one of the filmmakers. It'd be better if I could tell you who it was, but I can't, so. Um, But basically, they said that the R rating, it didn't just mean they could swear and show a bit of blood. It means they can pitch it completely differently. Exactly. You don't have to go, right, action sequence every seven minutes. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You can play around with it. You, uh, yeah, These story elements, you can you can let them simmer for a mm. while and you don't have to have the same pace because you're not aiming That's at, it. At, ch- at children. That's exactly yeah. what I'm getting at, yeah. Because, yeah, that was it. At times, it felt like more of a drama than we've ever really had in a superhero film because there mm. weren't constant action set pieces. 
And even when they were, like, they were very self-aware. You know, the fact that he can't drive that car through the fence early on and he has all that trouble with it. Yeah. It felt like a real no, this is set in the real world and we're we're gonna kind of embrace the more mundane elements of that. And and ultimately what it is is uh, like it's just about someone getting older and yeah. not being able to do what they used to and then kind of having to deal with that emotion. Yeah. Um which was you know, really interesting, and and then in this kind of extreme context, mm. it's it's one of those films that just completely. We've spoken about films that just tick boxes for us personally, and just hit a load of specific buttons that um, does it for us on a very personal level. Um, this film was really one of those for me. I I love seeing it's because of your daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> nah, be, I wasn't that keen on the kid being in it. Oh, is this because it was set in Mexico? <laughs> I mean, that that probably helped, but I don't know. No, just I I love aging versions of characters. I love seeing old characters yeah. decaying, not being able to do what they once could. I find that really interesting. So there was that. Mm. There was the fact that it was very much set in the future, but in a very, like, it left that up to you to figure out for the first hour or so before we saw all the actual, like, self-driving vans and stuff. I think the first thing that really sold that was when uh, Patrick Stewart was watching that Western with the kid, and he says, this film's nearly a hundred years old, or whatever. And <laughs> but I, There was a line that I picked up on earlier on about, someone just drops in something about, like, oh yeah, tigers are extinct now, or <laughs> yeah. when tigers are around. There are just nice little bits in there that just give you a nice little flavour of what this future is That's like. That's it, and I, I loved that, because it was world building in a like this new corner of this world we haven't seen the x-men mm. universe projected forward into the future in quite that way yet and i i enjoyed that mm. as well and uh but another thing patrick stewart as well patrick stewart was clearly having a blast like ham- that is exactly what i said yeah, yeah he's just having oh, yeah. fun isn't he and he loves it yeah which was really good to see and he, he did it well but I, I mean just i really loved the film just in in terms of like you know music yeah. how it was shot set design it, it was everything just came together. You had these, you know, half robot men chasing these guys. You had, ah, yeah, it's great. I, I enjoyed it. Um, a real, a real high note to uh, to go out yeah. on. And I think, I think Hugh Jackman yeah. is making the right decision and basically say he's never touching the character again because oh, don't definitely. don't tarnish that as your your mm, swan yeah, song. Yeah, you've you done know. the perfect swan song. Yeah. Ratings out of ten. Oh yeah, uh, eight for me. Eight for me. I think I'm going to go with eight as well. Yeah. Just one more thing before we leave Logan. Uh, my mum went to see Logan. Ah. Now, she went to see it because she likes Hugh Jackman. She saw the trailer. She thought, oh, that looks interesting. But bear in mind that she hasn't seen any of the X-Men films. She doesn't know anything about it. She hasn't seen any of them? No. Okay. So so that I thought that was interesting, that this film appealed to her on some obviously some different level. No, my mum was exactly the same. It was like when it came out of the oh. cinema, she was like, oh, yes, now I'm going to go and see that. I was like, you've never seen another X-Men film? <laughs> And she was like, oh no, but it's meant to be really good, and Hugh Jackman's brilliant in it. So and, and, and from what I could gather, it, it worked okay without the context. Mm. X-Men Days of Future Past was meant to be really good and had Hugh Jackman in it. So what? Oh, well, that's what I mean. I think this appeals on a kind of like, uh, to to older audience maybe. It's kind of like, yeah, it's like more of a look back at your life and you can't do what you used to and all that sort of thing. Mm. It wouldn't appeal to my mum, I'll say that much. <laughs> but anyway, I, I did ask my mum about it, and um, <clears throat> I've got a little clip of her here, mm. which uh, ultimately comes down to uh, her ideas about how to deal with 
you know, the threat of Charles Xavier. And I tried to explain to her that, <laughs> I like, she didn't quite get, grasp what it was. So I, I explained that it was, um, you know, he's he, his mind is this giant weapon, basically. But when he's in control of it, he's a good guy, it's fine. But now he's losing control of it, it's a problem, right? Which sums it up pretty nicely. That is something that almost certainly plays better if you've seen the films leading up to it. Mm. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I also tried to explain to her a little bit about the the kind of the metaphorical ideas of what X-Men plays with, which is about civil rights and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, we're we're familiar with it. I tried to explain that to her, but this is basically her take on what to do with uh, (laughs) Charles Xavier. Okay. And so it's this huge weapon in his mind that he's losing control of. And that's why people are just dying or whatever it is. You never quite show the sort of mechanics not, of what it's doing. They're not real people. And, and <laughs> why didn't they just kill him? <laughs> why are they going to all this trouble to keep him alive? He's going to die sometime. Why not kill him now? And then all of these problems that are arising would finish, would they not? I know Logan's is on his side and he's, he's supposedly helping him, but the help sometimes is... Let's eradicate him. <laughs> eradicate. So are you saying eradicate him in, in in a kind of eugenic sense because he's a mutant freak, or are you saying euthanize him in the sense of put him out of his misery because no, he's the first one eugenics? <laughs> yeah. so you think... He's causing the problems. So solve the problems by getting rid of him. Wow. So that was that was her idea. I'm and... glad you clarified at the end because I assumed she meant euthanasia. He's getting old. Yeah, he probably yeah, exactly. wants to die. <laughs> well, she she couldn't quite grasp this idea that the mutants were like not real. They, she thought they weren't real people or, or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what she thought. <laughs> well, they're all um, actors, which is why they? I tried to explain it's about, Patrick like, Stewart. The, so she's the idea of this civil. You're not really idea. killing him. It's just Patrick Stewart <laughs> playing a role. <laughs> but she she said a similar thing about Wolverine. Like, yeah, he used to be useful. That's fine. But now he's not. So just pop him off. What, like, what's, <laughs> now he's too old to do what he did. So just get rid of him. How how long has your mum been retired for? Like, out of interest. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they, I mean I have got a letter uh, I got a letter from my mum in the post once and I was oh what's this handwritten letter from my mum and it was basically a, a, a legal notice saying that if she's ever in a comatose state we have permission to turn her off <laughs> <laughs> nice letter to get from your mum innit <laughs> did she warn you that was coming or did you just <laughs> no no I just got it wow <laughs> Your mum. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh god. Not not a <laughs> sentimental woman. <laughs> but anyway, I suppose moving on to perhaps the other end of the spectrum in terms of uh maturity, Kong Skull Island. Mm. So Calvin, have you seen this one? No, I haven't. Alan? I didn't dislike it, but I didn't think it was particularly good. There was just too many lost opportunities and such as. Um well, the plot, uh, <laughs> it just felt like it was just a, it was just an action film with no kind of, then, di- and it felt like there was this idea there somewhere of a deeper, a deeper meaning that never came to the fore. And it was all sort of focused through Samuel Jackson's character mm. where he suddenly decides he has to kill this giant ape and he takes it and it's real personal. And, and there's, there's mentions about, yeah, well, that's this, a, that's a very on the nose Vietnam metaphor, isn't it? It's this pointless war that he won't pull out of, even though he knows it's kind of not 
right to be pushing ahead yeah, but, but he can't he has to save face and I, I think it was just over overplayed really and and there was yeah. this there was a comment about we we have to create if we don't have an enemy we have to create one something like that and i felt like this was a like yeah a vietnam allegory that it was trying to get at but it got lost it felt like that was maybe in an earlier script and then they brought someone else in and they went oh let's just put some more action scenes in like it felt like something had been lost sort of in in the in the journey there somewhere and so it just kind of felt a little bit hollow for me but a solid action film and perfectly watchable hmm. um so you know but it was just a few too many kind of missteps to to for me to really get into it i thought i thought samuel jackson was miscast i didn't think he was good in that yeah I, I you know what i i'll agree with that and i love samuel L. jackson but he didn't quite yeah. seem right in the role even with the people in the film, like elsewhere, I would have swapped them around. Have John Goodman play that role or something, you know? But yeah. um, but I'll, I'll say I, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's a big, dumb action movie, but it's very, very self-aware, plays to its strengths, knows what it is, does it well. And I, I really enjoyed it. It's It's kind of everything that King Kong set out to be in the first place, just this spectacular action fair transporting mm. you to another world and yeah. um it's kind of everything that the recent godzilla movie tried to become in the last 20 minutes but sort of completely mm. failed when it, it sort of decided it was tongue-in-cheek even though it hadn't been like at all yeah kong skull island it's just it's it it felt like colors and the cinematography and the direction it all felt so of a comic book in a, a way that I found very refreshing. It was this bright colours popping, and all the monster design was great. There were all these like weird and wonderful creatures that went far beyond the um, the kinds of things we've seen in the other King Kong movies. Normally, it's just a dinosaur or something, but this had you know like giant bamboo spiders that felt like they'd come out of mm. Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And the action sequences were were great. It's it's rare for me that I really click with action but i thought these scenes were all done really well they were great kaiju monster fights it's one of very few films that i've seen of giant monsters beating the shit out of each other that's really worked for me i just thought everything about it kind of was pitched at the right level and i i really enjoyed it and i i can't wait for king kong versus godzilla off the back of it anyway um i'm sure we'll be doing an episode on this at some point with this monsterverse thing. Yes, as they lead up to the uh what the King Kong the Godzilla film yeah. next. Yeah. Have you have you heard who they've just announced as the director for King Kong versus Godzilla? Oh no. It's uh Adam Wingard who directed Blair Witch. Oh, very odd huh. choice. That but is interesting. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that cuz I I like Adam Wingard. <laughs> I like most of what I've seen of his films so far. Mm. Even though they haven't been that well received, <laughs> so now they're going to give him ten times the budget and <laughs> ten times the scale. Mm. <laughs> interesting. Mm. Uh, ratings? Yeah. So out of ten, Alan, what would you give Kong? Six. Well, I give it an eight. Mm. So it's a seven overall. It's in your seven. We did. Uh, we did a live action Disney episode because the Beauty and the Beast film was coming out. Yes. Not much has changed in that area since we... Actually, that's not true. There's loads of weird shit that's happened. Like, they've just cast Ewan McGregor as Christopher Robin in the fucking Winnie the Pooh film they're making. Huh. <laughs> Apparently it's about old Christopher Robin, so... Oh, you you, you love it then, Sol. Oh, I will! Yeah. His grizzled old uh, 
Wouldn't that be great if they just did it as like a guy in a Winnie the Pooh costume, like a mascot kind of costume, <laughs> and like a full-grown man, like dressed as a child, going, "Hey, Piglet, come and have a look at this." And a guy on a pogo stick for the, the tiger. <laughs> Just like really obvious. The tiger. <laughs> What's his name? Tigger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another thing, they're, they're talking about uh, Will Smith to play the genie in the Aladdin film, which has completely uh, yeah. put me off that film altogether. Don't about you guys. They, they should get Jim Carrey, don't you think? That would make more sense. He's the one guy I can think of who could kind of do justice to that friendly uncle vibe who's like improvising and doing impressions and a bit mm. but and it'd be just different enough to make it different yeah but yeah beauty and the beast the 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 new one so yeah i think we've all seen it yeah yeah all right so alan you hate it i assume hate is a bit of a strong word i just thought it was completely pointless it was just yeah why why does this film exist okay calvin i can't <laughs> i can't gauge how you're gonna feel about this one so Lay it on us. Uh, well, I, I mean, I thought it was fine. Um, it was complete. I mean, it was just the animated film done again with yeah. live action people. And some of the songs I liked a lot better, like the mob song. Some of the orchestration is bigger and bolder. Hmm. Um, you had a nice, diverse cast in there. Hmm. Um, Emma Watson was uh, probably gave the best performance I've ever seen her give. Oh, I thought she was every, every bit <laughs> as bad as she ever is. Me, yeah, but, uh, you know it was fine. I I quite enjoyed it. I um oh. I went in expecting to think it was shit, and yeah, I quite quite enjoyed it. Um, it did enough differently for me to not feel completely pointless. I I felt like it built on the framework of the original film, but expanded it in places and added in new songs and what have you. And uh, did you really need those expansions though? Did you need to no, know that but... Bell's dad, like the mum, was dying of the plague or something? No, I didn't then... need to know it at all. But when we transported to this windmill in Paris, and like that, every every time they went on one of those tangents, or every time there was a new song, I, that's when it sort of lost me, and I was like, oh, let's just get back on the. Oh, the new songs were. Probably the highlight for me. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, what I'll say is it took me a while. Initially, I thought, this is cringy. The first... I hadn't seen the opening song that was released online ahead of time. And so I sat down to watch that, and it felt like... You know, like, when Sky One did that live-action opening of The Simpsons and stuff like that? Have you ever seen... Uh, yeah, Or, yeah. like, the old Flintstones movie with John Goodman? It, <laughs> it felt like this really cringy attempt at doing a live-action cartoon. All the timings were off because the actors were trying to emulate these, like, specific yeah. bits of animation. There was one point when uh, when they reprised the song where Emma Watson gives the best bit of acting she's ever done because she's specifically emulating a, a series of movements that the character does <laughs> in the film. But the, the, the song itself, like the orchestration, I, I just thought it was so... The people weren't singing as well. It was slowed down to presumably make make it so they could move into frame on like and fit everything in, in time. It just... Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just felt very. I found it quite cringy. It felt like a pantomime. That was yeah. <laughs> that was the level it was being pitched at, and it was. I don't know. It, it it took a while to kind of find its feet, but once it did, I thought it was quite um, enjoyable, in spite of various flaws. And I, I thought the new songs were the highlight for me because they weren't anchored to the original performances. You weren't judging them against a, a better version, I suppose. Another, another of my problems with it was that 
your main villain, Gaston, was the most oh. engaging, entertaining character in the whole thing. Oh, he's brilliant. I thought he was shit. He was the worst thing for me. What? Yeah, I thought he was dreadful. His, he completely missed the mark. He was completely miscast, and I didn't like his performance. I, uh, uh, he was the most perfectly no, cast it a, person. He's doing he? it as a cartoon. Like, that was the... Yeah. No, because Gaston is a loud braggart. He's a big, burly idiot. Whereas in this film, they turned him into a conniving guy who was he was very Machiavellian. He was too smart. And they weren't playing it like a big, dumb idiot in the same way. And it just didn't work for me. I didn't like that at all. Not to mention that... I mean, Calvin, is he is he a big, attractive guy in that sense? He didn't... Yes. It felt like you want someone like Channing Tatum or something for that role. I'd rather sleep with Luke Evans. Yeah, but you like... <laughs> you, you, you're not into the big, muscly guys, are you? Uh, not really. Uh-uh. I thought, yeah, I thought he was the most engaging character. I th- he was the one I thought, oh yeah, that, great, he's on screen. That's going to be more amusing. Yeah, and that's not good when he's the villain because you're supposed to hate him. He's got to get brutally murdered at the end. No, the villain, the villains always steal the show in Disney films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My problem was it was that I think you had these five actors who were all all the leads were playing it like they're in a different film, like that's Kevin true. Klein. I, yeah. I don't know what yeah. he was doing. Some of his delivery and line readings were just so bizarre. <laughs> yes. And Emma Watson's yeah. trying to play it as, well, you know, as earnestly as possible. Yeah, she and, tried. But Luke Evans is going big and over the top, and Josh Gad is kind of trying to follow oh, him God, with that. Was, yeah, so. I didn't like that either. But um, I like Dan Stevens. But I thought Josh Gad, that character, could have done so much more. That kind of tormented split character where he's like oh yeah he's loyal to this person but he doesn't really like what he's doing I thought that could have could have done a lot more with that and it never went anywhere LeFou like there was this whole thing about LeFou being Disney's first openly gay character well that was bullshit wasn't oh, yeah. it because he yeah, wasn't was openly gay <laughs> he was just camp no, no, no reference to it whatsoever he was just camp and then like danced with a man at the end yeah yeah, and and there's a bit of carry-on style innuendo with him and Gaston, and that's about it, really. I hated his character. I hated the fact that he decided he was going to play LeFou gay, and therefore he had to start doing it like this, girlfriend! It's like, but instead mm. he was going for this cartoon gay guy, and it just, it just, it, it, it just felt bordering on offensive to me, frankly. It felt, like, simplistic and... I didn't buy any of his motivation. At the end, he, he's like obsessed with Gaston and then he just turns around and doesn't like him at a very arbitrary point. If you hadn't heard this idea that he was supposed to be gay and just went in and watched it, would you have even thought that character, oh, he's playing it gay? You wouldn't have thought anything. You'd just go, yeah, he's just that um, character. Because there's nothing gay about mm, it. Well, Josh Gad is doing a camp voice. Really. He is. That's not how he talks normally. It's not like it wasn't like it wasn't like Kenneth Williams though. It wasn't like over the top. No, no, it, no. But it was it was dialed up a little bit. And 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 the idea at the end that like the two the the two gay guys in the village are automatically paired off, and one of them was just like a cross dresser. So apparently, like that's the same thing as being gay now as well. Yeah, that that moment really like made me cringe when they do the thing where like they do it in the cartoon where the wardrobe comes down and grabs one of the blokes and then he comes out dressed as a woman and he screams and runs off. But in this one, he like smiles at her and he's like, "Oh yeah, great." It's like, "Oh great, yeah, this is really great representation yeah. in a big blockbuster, isn't it?" But I did like the I did appreciate the diversity of the cast, like in ethnicity. And I've heard some complaints about you know people complain about oh it wasn't really like that in France. Well, why why would they have black people in Europe in the old days? 
Exactly, and then it's sort of like this is not the kind of film. It's set in a magic about. kingdom. <laughs> yes. It's not going like it's exactly. a completely fictionalized royal society. It's like I didn't bother me because exactly. yeah, so it's such a fairy tale world to begin with. It's not something you can judge on terms of realism. I thought Dan Stevens was good. Which one's that? As the Beast. Oh, I thought he was Beast. The, the problem, my problem beast. with that character was that it wasn't enough. It wasn't big enough. It needed a big voice. It needed a big presence. Lots of facial work. Because you, you're motion capturing over the top of it or whatever they did with it. So you need to... Have it. He was the only actor in the film that had any subtlety to his performance who kind of went in interesting directions with some of the delivery. Most of them were just down the line delivering it at, like, just as you read it. Whereas he was the only one who brought a bit of that you wanna, you wanna stay in the castle element to the to the performance i liked his song as well beast's song they added in that was nice even though um it borrowed a load of bits from uh what's the one in aladdin still i think he's rather tasty that one gotta still to eat gotta eat to live otherwise we'd get along is it alan menken who wrote that because he keeps repeating that bit because yeah in, in mother knows best he repeats well, that same again in tangled and he did it again, pretty much in this. But anyway, <laughs> more on more on composers repeating musical cues later. <laughs> oh, anyway, what did you review it as? How did you rate it? It's a member of the uh, Senior Sevens Club for me. Senior Sevens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is that offensive? <laughs> can I be Can I be offensive against Mexicans, or is it? Yeah, you've got not... a free pass. Uh, I give it a five. I'm going to split the difference and uh, give it a six. All right, well, there you go. Six out of ten overall. What do we have next, then? Go, go, Power Rangers. Oh, it is! Oh, yes! Yes! Which I paid the princely sum of £18 to see at the oh cinema, which is outrageous. Why? I know. I was what? Absolutely. Well, um, me and Alan went to see this one together. Okay. And uh, we went to a cinema in uh, central London. And uh, yes, on a Sunday... Or was it Saturday morning? Sunday, Saturday morning. And you bought Alan's ticket as a nice gesture as well. No, but he had to pay extra on top of his Cineworld card because we saw it on the deluxe mega screen yeah, or whatever IMAX it's called. Yeah, super screen or whatever it is. Yeah. Don't feel like that added anything to it. I was going to say, was it worth it? No. Uh, <laughs> it was weekend of release and there was about... How many... About, 20 people, maybe. And it's like 500 seat cinema. (laughs) And I think think the majority of people were there by themselves. uh... (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah. But, um, so I guess you haven't seen this. Yeah, I couldn't be bothered. (laughs) I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was lots of fun. I, I found it, I mean, my basic idea was it did what I expected it to. It was very by the numbers and didn't really perk me up. And and at the beginning, I was hating it, and it kind of won me over by the end to some degree. So uh, mm. you know that was all right. <laughs> oh yeah, when they get all the when all the action really kicks off, and there's the big monster in Angel Grove, like, and the Zords come out, and mm. for most of the for most, it's really weird that for the most of the the music score, it's quite uh, downbeat and underplayed and not cheesy. And they, they never do the go, go, power, except for this one moment when all of a sudden the Zords are charging towards the town and it's go, go, power. Ra-. And I, I, I got goosebumps. I was really like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is great. I loved it. I don't it. get it. Like, like, they've just announced they're rebooting Animaniacs, okay? That was my childhood. Now, I'm looking forward to it. I hope they do it well. But 
I don't think I'll be tearing up when I watch it. I don't think I'll be, you know, hit on an emotional level. I mean, fair enough, but whatever. Oh, I, I, I really was. I thought Elizabeth Banks was a great villain. I thought all of the kids did a, a good enough job. Brian Cranston was good. Should you give marks out of 10 for Power Rangers? I'd probably give it a 7. Mm. I'd go 5. Yeah, that's okay. another 6. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. Is that next? Is that Yeah. Is that your way of saying that's next? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen this one. Yeah, neither um, have I. Well, funnily enough, it, it basically falls into exactly the same category as Beauty and the Beast and Power Rangers, and I just felt it was like very just, yeah, just churn out another film off the conveyor belt. Here's another wow. one, boom. Just not. It just inspires nothing in me, but it's not badly made, particularly. It's just... Phew. And and they, they changed the narrative to try and make it a bit clearer, but didn't do a great job of it. And I'm not quite sure what if they really had any sense of a, a deeper meaning behind it. Like if they were asking questions about the nature of what is life and what how do we define ourselves and things like that, which the first one definitely is asking. Mm. Doesn't provide any question. Uh, it doesn't provide any answers, but it throws the questions out there. Mm. Um, I'm not sure they really got that with this remake. Out of ten, uh, five. Oh. Mm. Yeah, the action was solid. You know, did what I expected it to. So. Mm. Well, after Ghost in the Shell. We did Tremors, and uh, Michael Gross still hasn't got in touch, Shooters. which is yeah <laughs> disappointing. But then after that, we did the massive Fast and the Furious film nonsense series, because mm. there's a new one. What's that new one like? Have you seen it, Calvin? No. Just you then, Alan. Just me again, is it? Okay. Would you believe it's exactly the same again? <laughs> yeah. No. Would that would that surprise you? Is it not <laughs> no. bigger and louder than the last? Or have they peaked? Um, yeah, they try and do. Yeah, yeah, they they try and go bigger. Basically, they have remote control cars that just like fly out of the sky and stuff. It's so they kind of do it with numbers. Uh, they just throw more cars at it. They have suggested that they're open to taking the franchise to space in future installments. The, the writer of the series. <laughs> to be fair to him, it was a very coy, I'm not going to write that out as a possibility if we figure out a way to make it work kind of response, but <laughs> still. Nothing's out of the question. What they what they do in this film, which is quite clever actually, they, they separate Vin Diesel's character from the rest of the group. Uh, so, he's so, like so you can tell them apart to... from Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Vin Diesel is blackmailed essentially into doing the working with the baddie, and so the other guys have to then work against him. And that's the crux of it. But it means that you've got the Vin Diesel storyline, which is shit. And then you've got the rest of them without this anchor of Vin Diesel, like, making it shit. So you've got... It basically becomes Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Jason Statham uh, comedy duo. How is Jason Statham? Fantastic. But basically, you know how Jason Statham's character in the in the previous film? Yeah. Uh, ignore that completely. It's a totally different character uh, with the really? same name, but they they just completely change him because that character wouldn't work in this expanded idea where they need him to do more things. So it's right. a completely different character, but a much better character. And him and and Dwayne the Rock Johnson are like going at each other, and they're like kind of a kind of a buddy cop kind of thing. And a spin off with them too would be the the way to go with this franchise now because it's fantastic. But yeah, so all the bits without Vin Diesel were, were fun and, and, and right really what I liked about Fast and the Furious franchise when I do like it. And then the other half of the film with Vin Diesel is just shit, but it's what I expect. Mm. I gave it a five. Oh, that's, mm. that's I mean when you bad. when you asked about 
about it going bigger on the action, the big climax is between a tank and a nuclear submarine. Oh, so, yes, it's in the trailer. Uh, just gives you some sort of sense. Of Brilliant. Now I look forward this. to seeing it um, <laughs> when it's out on home media release. I'll uh, I'll probably watch it when we do an episode tying into Fast and the Furious 9. What do you think it's mm. going to be called? The F9... The f The Fast... F9... Yeah, because vroom is like the sound that a car makes when it revs. A fast, that makes sense. A fast... Is there like a, a golf phrase that rich people use? Like, oh, I'm just going for a fast nine or something. What? <laughs> golf. Oh! Is, that, is there like a right. golfing phrase? Fast nine? I'm going for a fast nine. No, back nine. Back nine. nine. Right. I, I, I reckon it's going to be called back nine. <laughs> I don't. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> this is when it's Vin a... Diesel and the crew tear up a golf course in their uh, <laughs> oh, golf and we can get some other A-list uh, oh, get man. Anthony Hopkins in as um, disgruntled uh, oh how great would that be course owner yeah if, if the whole film was on a golf course like Caddyshack and they're <laughs> driving around those golf buggies <laughs> and, and at the end one of them gets trapped in the uh, in the sand pit and they can't they're like revving it and they can't get the car to <laughs> so Jason oh, so Statham get... has to get out and push and he's like really unhappy about it you get your money's worth on this podcast even when we don't build to pictures we can't help but uh, <laughs> <laughs> write our own ideas uh, the next episode we did after that was Psycho yes um, and I believe the yeah Bates Motel the show finished its run on A&E a couple of months ago now I think so have um, you have you gone through watching it all like you said you were going to yet, Calvin? Or yes. Are you saving? I, no, I I watched the whole thing from season one to the end of season four. I should say I've not seen the the most recent oh. one because it's not out on Blu-ray yet. Oh well, I've seen season four now as well, and and I I've got to say I'm really looking forward to season five. Oh yeah, because yeah. uh, the final episode for me is like the show hit a whole new level. Yeah. Um, Because now we're finally into, like, full-blown psycho territory, aren't we? And it just, it really came together. The whole descent into madness thing, like, where they end up going, it's, like, it's it's really nicely plotted, I think. Yeah, so uh, after that we did Guardians of the Galaxy. So have you guys seen the new one, Volume Mm. 2? No. Yes. I uh, I wasn't that that impressed by the first film, if you remember, people who listened. I'm a big Marvel guy. I love James Gunn. I was a bit let down by it, if anything, but I thought it was solid. Um, I enjoyed the second one a lot more. It it felt it felt like the first film had to play things safer because they had a talking tree and a space raccoon and everything. <laughs> so they felt that they had to really toe the line and give us a really by the numbers action movie plot. Whereas this one felt like it was a bit more willing to build on that and go to some more interesting places. And that's not to say it's the most groundbreaking original plot beats that you get um, in this film, but it just felt a bit more interesting and different. And yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. Alan? Uh, Basically, to sum up my feelings, it was diminishing returns. I felt like it was just trying to do the same and it worked fine, but didn't add enough new elements for me to really you know lift it up 
And mm. so it just felt like I was watching more of the same as the first mm. one, which I enjoyed. So that was all right. But I, I did feel like it was trying to tick the boxes. It was like, okay, yeah, people really like that element. So let's put that in. There were a few bits of that, yeah. Like the music felt like much more of a yeah. crowbar in element this time round that didn't really work for me. But Yeah, exactly. I mean... That whole opening scene, that, like, that first five minutes or whatever, where it's the thing dancing and the music. It's I like, like that. that. It's just like, that summed it up for me. Like It's just like, no, there's no new ideas here. It's like, what did the internet like? Let's do more of that. What was wrong with um, that? That's good. Well, exactly. People will like it. Um, I just hate people, so. I mean, what, what I will say is the plot was, um, it was remarkably similar to an episode of Futurama. Did you notice that? I, that's exactly what I thought, yeah. <laughs> and and I, when when he was taking him to the new planet and all that, I was just thinking, well, this is definitely going to turn out badly, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. I did think it was going to be like, oh, the guy's all fake. Like Futurama, the guy's just fake and it's some sort of scam rather mm. than, oh, by the way, I'm a huge god mm. uh, and I want your help. And I didn't like the ending. I didn't like the this kind of hubris of, well, we've discovered God and now I have to kill him. I love that. I love when you discover God and you have to kill him, and we'll talk about that more in a moment, but... Uh... I don't know why. There has to be some kind of understanding of, do you know what, this this person has a greater frame of reference than I have, and perhaps I shouldn't just kill him. Uh, maybe, perhaps there's, there's a discussion to be had here. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I don't want to spoil things for Calvin, who I'm sure will at some point see the film. So I'm, I'm yeah. towing the line in terms of how I describe things but i, I uh, like that. You, you, I, I but my 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 problem with it was that peter quill turns against both his father and his god yeah because he didn't love his mum enough or something or banged his mum and then ran off and like that was his motivation. no it's it, the thing that turns him or gave a space it. cancer yeah like he killed his mum that's the big spoiler mm. like it that's <laughs> i mean that What's wrong with that? I think that played. It was you, they've established how much his mum means to him in the first film. It's it's a legitimate move by that character that that would push him over the edge and he'd turn on the guy for killing mm. his mum. I kind of I, I like the father themes that runs through the whole thing, mm. but then tying it back into Yondu was a bit much for for Peter Quill. I I liked the Yondu raccoon bit because they saw a lot of each other in the. I liked all that. Even that, for me, this is the first time in a Marvel film where they have killed someone off and it's actually had emotional resonance for me. I've never, like, when they killed Clark Gregg in the Avengers, I just thought, well, who the fuck cares about that guy? Like, they made out like it was a massive... Who is Clark Gregg? um, The guy in a suit who assembled everyone in the first few films. And then they kill him off and Loki kills him in the Avengers and it's meant to be this big thing that brings them all together, but it's just really like, who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> And you know, the, the Marvel's done it a lot, just killing off someone here and there, and it, it, like I say, it's the first time it's actually carried any emotional weight for me. I just I just thought it worked. I, I thought it felt a lot more confident. The colours were like really bright and interesting. The set design felt more interesting generally. The alien design felt more interesting, and and the fact that his dad is this living planet, and it just embraced this kind of balls to the wall fucking insanity of the Marvel universe in a way that Guardians of the Galaxy ought to. Like, I I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than the first yeah. one, and it's not to say it's perfect, but you know. Yeah. Um, but what I will say is, uh, I just quickly want to touch on another film because James Gunn, as we established in that episode, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. 
I think he's great, and I was kind of disappointed with Guardians of the Galaxy because it was just a very polished Hollywood production, and it felt like his voice wasn't as strong there. I love Super, the little gritty, dark, fucked up movie he made. In very close proximity to Guardians of the Galaxy, they also released the Belko Experiment this year, which was a film he wrote and produced, and it felt just like he had his fingerprints all over it. And that it's been getting pretty poor reviews, like Super did. I thought it was fantastic. Just want to shout out to it, because it, it, I thought it was so, so much fun, such a great sense of humour, great premise, cheesy B-movie stuff, just played perfectly for me. Um, so if you like James Gunn, if you enjoyed Super, I would highly recommend it. It's uh, full of his usual cast members. Michael Rooker's in there, obviously, and you've got people like John C. McGinley and stuff. Is it safe to say like this is what this is a film that James Gunn would have directed if he hadn't got the Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, I think so. Yeah, I think he wrote it and couldn't get funding like years ago, and off the back of Guardians of the Galaxy, he was able to fund the thing. But he hasn't got the time to direct it. That's good. I like that. I like that he's doing that. That he's like, oh shit, I can get this shit made now. That's (laughs) it. It felt like really pure James Gunn, which is you know, why I enjoyed it. So yeah, big recommendation for me. But yeah, as, as we were saying, the, the idea of um, you meet God and then you have to kill God. Yeah. <laughs> so we did we did an alien season following mm. that. Um, have we all seen Alien Covenant? Yeah, me and Alan saw it together. I am frankly flabbergasted at the negative reception this film's getting. It seems to be very polarising, much like Prometheus was. Mm. But it seems to be coming out overall with like a less positive response than Prometheus got. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm just going to come out and say it. I, I fucking loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It's, it's, mm. my, it, it's my favorite alien sequel out of all of them. It, it delivered everything I wanted from Prometheus in the first place. It, it almost retroactively made up for Prometheus like altogether so mm. what about you guys um it, it took me a while to process it if i'm honest i i remember that me and alan both came out of the cinema and sort of like what do you think i, I, don't, I don't really know actually I don't, I don't know how to and i think it's because i love this franchise so much and you know when it's like if i see a bond film it, it takes me a while to form mm. an opinion because you just sort of let it all wash over you i guess when you first see it mm. um but yeah i i i I think I loved it. I need to see it again. Uh, but it, it is it is sort of... Well, it's like you say, Saul. It's everything that I kind of wanted from Prometheus, where yeah. you're delving into the backstory, but you're doing the alien thing. It's like they, you know, they get an, an alien escapes and starts to attack them and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's still... At the same time, there's still an awful lot of stupidity from the main characters, yeah, like what they do. Yeah, it's like the whole, the whole idea that they would go down to the planet and... Without... You know, any sort of like protective helmet or anything that was that pissed me off yeah and then just sort of march around like oh this is nice yeah 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 and there's just like stamping on things and then like, there's one guy who he sees the particle um like those you know when they first land in those weird like particle things going to that guy's ear he's kind of looking yeah. at the particles and he's just like oh well isn't that interesting <laughs> rather than yeah. shit i better not breathe that in cuz god knows yeah I, I i mean it's i'll be honest it was I don't think I really knew what I made of it until um, Michael Fassbender showed up, and that was when I kind of was like, "Yeah, I'm oh. on board now. I love it." Because yeah, for, like you say, for the for the start, there's a lot of characters behaving like idiots, um, mm. which is just kind of lazy writing, really. Um, mm. 
but I could forgive it. It wasn't quite... It wasn't inexplicably stupid like in Prometheus. It was just sort of... It didn't feel as bad as Prometheus, did it? it, it for some reason, it, even though they're doing essentially the same things, it, it didn't feel as annoying. But mm-hmm. I think that's just because leading up to that, you're more on board because it's a better made film. It's mm. kind of, you've, it's, it's pulled you into the world a bit better. Yeah, one of the big things that really made it work better for me was just the characters. We, we spoke about how all the characters in Prometheus are kind of shit. That yeah. geologist guy badly, and badly all these characters that don't behave like human beings. And the characters in this film were pretty, like, human for the most part. I particularly liked Danny McBride. I thought he was very good. Oh, he was great, yeah. But that whole opening sequence before they land on the planet, it's very alien. It's really like yeah. that first film where they're just sort of they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Everything's kind of uh, gloomy and, and, and someone's died and that's having an emotional impact on others and, and, and all that sort of thing. It's And that works really well for me. I liked all that bit. Can I ask, do either of you know why James Franco was the captain? <laughs> uh, is is well, that setting up for a prequel or something like what is that i mean i i can only assume that him and danny mcbride are mates aren't they yeah, and yeah. danny mcbride might have been like yeah you know and there is some deleted material there's some promotional stuff that i don't know if it's deleted scenes or what that came out where it's like james franco they have a last supper and it's very reminiscent of the alien um supper scene what is it perhaps yeah just so they could use that promotional material and then you go and see the film go oh, yeah james franco's the captain and then he dies straight at the uh, beginning yeah. so that you're immediately going on oh fuck anything could happen here yeah um to be honest i didn't know james franco was in it until i was saw his picture after he died (laughs) yeah well that was it if it it felt like maybe they were going for that like the first alien oh the big star is dies and it's not the big star and it's a pulls the rug from under your feet but he's not even credited Mm. so yeah it it plays like more of a surprise cameo like people plus i i didn't know he was in it so it wasn't yeah yeah, it wasn't like that plus i didn't even know it was him who had died until she watches the video same same because when his little face in the mask and everything i didn't didn't register it was him well i knew he was in it and i saw his face and i was like oh that's him i wasn't expecting him to like die so soon uh i knew he was meant to be the husband of the main lady on the ship but uh yeah but i mean yeah so calvin i mean you you spoke about how you like prometheus because it's a collection of ideas being explored Mm. and that's kind of what i got out of this it was a collection of themes and ideas being explored but i just felt it was done so much better than in Prometheus. I, I thought it was done in a coherent way that worked for me. And, and again, this was a film that really did just tick boxes for me as well. You know, I, like I said, the characters worked for me. They were just far more interesting and generally more more competent, even though they made some fucking stupid mistakes here and there and stupid things here and there. They go down to Alien Planet and uh, I, I thought the weird, creepy white aliens were quite nice. They were certainly a hell oh, yeah. of a lot better than uh, any of the creature design we saw in Prometheus. It felt like yeah. the bar had been... Well, interestingly... Which is that... inter- well, I was going to say, that is a leftover design from Prometheus. Yes, that I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. Well, that was going to be what um, Fifield, the geologist um, guy with the silly hair in, in Prometheus, was going to turn into. Hmm. And then they decided on something else, which was dreadful. But uh... <laughs> I, I do wonder... But, yeah. To what extent this is the original Prometheus script, which I still haven't read. I probably should have done. <laughs> yeah, you do wonder, don't you? But I mean, I just, I loved it. I loved that the engineers were just wiped out. <laughs> I fucking oh, loved yeah. that. The the fact that, because we spoke in our episode, they're, they're planning to go to the engineer home planet. Then what? What's the next yeah. move? 
And then we see Michael Fassbender as David on board this ship, dropping these, like, bombs, just wiping out a species of being. Like, I just, I loved it. It's like, yeah, yeah he's gone and killed God. For- fortunately, all the engineers lived in, like, a 100-metre yeah. square town. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, there's, there must be more out there, because one ends up on the planet that they visit in the original Alien, so... And I, I think the idea was that they live in that planet, and the entire planet was destroyed pretty much by this virus wasn't it that that was the mm. but yeah. but i didn't i, I must admit i didn't yeah. like i think we saw too much of that i didn't like that we saw them all dying as well i i really would have much preferred we just saw all these charred corpses and then we saw this flashback of michael fassbender looming above them in the ship and that that's it because i can put mm. that together you know i don't need to see them all dying but but i still i I love that i love the theme i I mean it's a frankenstein story it's it's your Mm. creation rising up and turning on you and i i love that and i love Mm. that it's done on this existential scale with with god i i loved um michael fassbender as david returning i loved his performance i loved everything about the fact that his character had just become completely unhinged in a way that mm. kind of explained his weird behaviour in Prometheus almost retroactively. I loved his experiments. I love that he... I mean, I suppose it's sort of a twist, really, isn't it? That he is the guy who created the Xenomorph. Mm. Um, mm. Obviously, I've heard people complain about that and the the idea that the Xenomorph is scarier when it's just an unknown entity in space and it's just an alien that mm. exists. And I, I agree with that. But, uh, but if you're gonna if you're gonna make more films, you have to go down that road. That's and it. And the first and film it a, works sure. with it being this unknown entity, just because you know these other films. I don't think it undoes that. Did you do you remember what my pitch was when we did the alien? It was episode? similar, wasn't it? it? Well, basically one big part of it was that the company who Wayland Yutani were looking for this alien mm. in like Alien and Aliens, and not are not looking for this thing that they can turn into a weapon. They're looking for something that they created that yeah. they've lost. And so yeah, it was essentially that they created the aliens, and there's a reason it's a perfect species is because there is intelligent design behind it. So yeah, I was quite pleased with that. That there is certainly an element of that. I just thought it was brilliantly directed. I think Ridley Scott is an excellent director. Just stuff like when David lures the guy down to his lair and you know exactly what's coming and it plays on that. <laughs> and and this is the thing, I've heard a lot of people complain about things like that and, and the fact that I've heard people refer to the twist at the end. I don't I wouldn't even call it a twist that you don't mm. know it's David who's assumed to the form of the other robot. Like of course you do. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. You, you, mm. like they don't show it because they know that then they can heighten the tension and i thought they yeah. did a masterful yeah. job because you were constantly waiting for david to break character and and betray mm. them so like those last few scenes were so tense for me because i knew it was david it's obviously david i don't think the film was keeping that a surprise but i've heard like mm. i said one of the big complaints i've heard is that the twist is too obvious it's like i said i wouldn't even call that a twist it's yeah, I think the problem is not that it's the tw- it's a twist that not showing, not just saying, "Hey, look, it's David." We all know that is a bit of a cheap trick to try and create tension in the later scenes. I don't know because it puts you in the same position as the as the character and the the main character. You she doesn't trust him. You mm. you know mm. she thinks it might well be David, but she's got to kind of size him up. And I just thought it worked very well. I thought it was good direction yeah. and. 
the action sequences, again, they all work for me really well in this film. I really enjoyed the action. The one thing I will say is that it felt like a bit of an unnecessary epilogue tangent to have this whole, like, sub-remake of Alien at the end where the xenomorph um, Mm. is, you know, on board the ship and everything. But, you know, I I was happy to go with it. It has probably one of my favourite scenes in the entire Alien series. You know the bit where um, they take one of the first guys back? No, 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 it's towards the beginning when it's the two women in the ship and the guy's like, it's coming out of his back and one of them is starting to freak out and she locks the other one in there and she's like, no, I've got to keep you quarantined. Just her panic, it just felt so real. It It was so well done. And she kept running back and forth and she didn't quite know what to do or who to talk to. Just... That's that's how this works so much better than Prometheus because she she does some stupid shit, but it's believable. Mm. It's human. Yeah. It's how it someone real. Yeah. in that situation might well behave. She doesn't know what mm. to do, and you can buy that. Whereas in Prometheus, mm. it was just this fucking idiocy, and like there is a little bit of that yeah. in this, but it's not as overt, and it's more like an oversight mm. than just unrealistic character behaviour. I mean, we're probably going to do another episode at some point in a few years, maybe, if we're still doing this Well, if Ridley Scott has his way, he wants yeah. at least another, what, another two of these? But I, judging by the reaction to this one... He said four, then he said six, then he said three, then he said two. I don't know. <laughs> I think, I hope they let him do one more, and I hope that one more is it for the prequels, because now, I mean... Uh, you, you really can't end the series like this because it's so. Yeah, it, th- th- there is a, a chapter missing, and um, as long as I think as long as he's alive, we're not going to see any other kind of alien film apart from what he wants to do. There were a lot of scenes that I don't think worked for people that did work for me. For example, uh, the very homoerotic sequence where Michael Fassbender teaches himself to play the flute. Um, oh yeah. There were a lot of like teenagers giggling in the cinema when I saw it and I can see that it's a bit weird and might make people uncomfortable but like that's that's David, you know? That's the point. Mm, yeah, it's, it's meant supposed to be, to be weird, weird and, and uncomfortable. homoerotic and uncomfortable in this this, mm. You don't know quite what his thought process is at the minute. You don't know quite where he stands. And but yeah, I'll say I'll save discussion beyond that for another episode, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Rating? Yeah, out of ten. I think I'm probably going to contradict myself because I think I've probably said that I've given either uh, it changes day in day out. I think right now I'd give it an eight, but it that, that fluctuates. Okay. I've also said seven and nine to other people <laughs> on different <laughs> days. So yeah, um, I go with a seven. Uh, I did enjoy it. It's just a few too many sort of slippy patches for me to really really get into it. But yeah, a good solid seven. I give it a nine, which I think is the mm. highest I've rated anything on our show yet. So that's eight overall. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, so next up we did Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Because uh, there's a new one that has come out apparently, even though I haven't really seen, like, it doesn't seem like people are that aware that it's even there to me. I don't know, is it making money? It's still making lots of money. Is it? Yeah, oh, lots well, and lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um. So yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean 5 is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Dead Men mm-hmm. Tell No Tales, Salazar's Revenge, whatever. Uh, Calvin, I think you've seen this one, is that right? Yes, I have. Have either of you? I haven't. I've seen it. Oh, have you? You have? Yeah. All right. Oh, right. What do you guys okay. make of it? Uh, it's pretty much as you were Pirates of the Caribbean, except Jack Sparrow becomes self-parody. Uh, and it really just feels like Johnny Depp's not trying. 
nobody else is trying. And when that's your magic ingredient, the Jack Sparrow, and he's not turning up, then it's very plodding, standard action crap. Oh, I think some of the action set pieces are wonderful highlights. Like the mm-hmm. when he's on the guillotine and it's like flinging round and round, that's really nice. The bank scene is great. Overall problem with the film is more of a pacing issue because I never it never slows down to catch its breath. The they're really trying hard to make you laugh in between lines or the music is swelling to try and make you feel a certain way and there there's just times when it's just like oh just be quiet just stop <laughs> blaring in my face and just you can do this because you have all these talented people like in the, in the film who are just naturally gifted comedians and whatever so just let them do it. I don't need anyway. And, uh, yeah, Jack Sparrow, yeah, he's not as um, uh, original, obviously, as he was in the first one. Johnny Depp was obviously going through a lot of personal problems around the filming, so I wonder how much of that factors into it. Did you hear about the... Um, well, what's the villain like in it? What's Javier Bardem like? Uh, I, thought, I thought he was all right, actually. I don't think there's enough real character behind it all for us to get behind him, but it's a solid performance. He can't pronounce the word Sparrow, which... Is a bit Sparrow. of a problem because he says it about forty times, uh, but it adds to the character. If anything, he's doing this kind of thick accent. But yeah, it's just like another ghost pirate. Mm. It's just like the same again, but a different, slightly different look. Have you heard? Originally, it was a, a female villain in the script that was turned in, yeah. and Johnny Depp nixed that. And when I heard that, I assumed it was that Johnny Depp didn't want Johnny Depp fighting a woman to be like in people's minds at the moment. Uh, that would have been unfortunate, wouldn't it? But, I mean, that must have all been well before the allegations came yeah, out. Yeah, but then it, it turns out that it's just that he thought it'd be too similar to Dark Shadows, which is the most yeah. ludicrous, out-of-touch thing. The, the idea that, like, a female villain is such an oddity that, like, that, oh, everyone will confuse it with another film that I had where the villain was a female. Like... <laughs> Fuck off, Johnny Depp. It's not re- mm. not related whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it is very very odd. Yeah. When we when we recorded this episode on pirates, it was before any of the full reviews had come out. But there was a lot of early buzz on Twitter from people who had seen it. They were under embargo, but were allowed to tweet, and like it was very positive early buzz. But like reviews have come out and slated the film which happens sometimes. It's always a bit odd when that happens. But I think I think it's got the lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes out of the entire franchise, actually, at the moment. So I'd be in- interested to know how you guys would compare it to the fourth film, for example. Better than the fourth one. It's more in keeping with the proper franchise, I think, than the fourth one is. Okay. But it's missing the heart of it. Right. So it's... I, I don't know. They're, they're probably both bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I prepared a little something... Like Alan's been doing. Oh, okay. Um, just that every time we've we've discussed Pirates of the Caribbean and film music, I I've always ended up going on about how the score is exactly the the same music from Gladiator, and by extension, the exact same music. Oh from God, The Lion King too. <laughs> so all I've done is I've assembled. Uh, the clips in, in question that kind of demonstrate my point so that you guys can actually hear what I'm talking about. First up, we'll listen to the iconic score from Pirates. Mm-hmm. So this is Pirates. Yep. And I mean, it is a great thing. It's a lovely bit. Yeah, it's a great theme. 
Bum, 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 bottom. Bum. So, bum, Pirates of the Caribbean, bum, 2003, bottom. Hans Zimmer, score producer. Great theme. Love it. That's good. Sounds like Gladiator. <laughs> oh, here we go. Gladiator. <laughs> Uh... It's slower, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like it's just bit the parts of the Caribbean music has just been like yeah slowed down by like two percent or something. I mean, it's it's a, it's hmm. almost the exact same bit of music, just a bit slower. And now we've got the Lion King two. The weird thing is that um, the Lion King two isn't even like Hans Zimmer's not even credited on that, even though I'm hmm. I'm, I'm sure he was involved in some capacity because obviously he he's the composer of the first film. Well, when did Lion King two come out? Ninety seven was it? Yeah, ninety eight. Ninety seven, I believe. <laughs> It's the same. Stretching a bit now. It's the same fucking piece of music. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's kind of an evolution of a theme, isn't it? If you go from Lion King 2 to Gladiator to Pirates, you can see how it's been more polished and gotten better. Yeah, but it's it's Um. very much the same thing that's just been refined. Yeah, it's like dun dun ba ba dum They didn't use that theme enough in the new film. I think they only really play it over the end credits, like the proper theme. It's very disappointing. It's disappointing when films do that. It's like, no, that's your theme, be proud of it. Is that is that it for pirates? Should we move on? Yep. Out of ten Alan? Five. I think I'm going to go five, yeah. Five. Okay. Uh, anyway, then we did um, Suicide Squad leading into Wonder Woman. Now, this only came out, mm. like, yesterday, the day before. Yesterday, as we in record. In terms of recording. Yeah, yesterday. yeah, So, have either of you seen it? No. Nope. I have. Have you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You went to see it on the night of release. I, I went out of my You're way so to go excited. watch it for this, yeah. Oh. Okay, go on. <laughs> is it good? It's, it's meant to it be. It is. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very pleased to report. It's, it is. It's good. Hmm. It's not quite as good as I think some people are suggesting. Um, I, I think maybe there's a few elements at play causing people to overstate how good it is. The sort of DC relief that they've finally got a decent film on their universe and that mm. sort of thing. But it's it's yeah, it's good. It's um it's very similar to Thor, Marvel's Thor, insofar as it's it's this kind of high fantasy world of gods, and then they're world collides with the uh the quote-unquote real world and then there's some fish out of water comedy it's a good film but it's not without its flaws it's you know that there's a load of like overblown gods and MacGuffin backstory nonsense that i really couldn't give a shit about there's a load of really cheesy nonsense there's a load of like awkward uh slow motion that feels a bit resident evilly at times i i think it's I think it's like been forced upon the director because they had to like make it fit in the tone that Zack Snyder had established. So it doesn't quite feel organic most of the time when there's just loads of slow motion and stuff. But overall, it's good. It it felt like a surprisingly hopeful and sincere film from DC and sort of for modern superhero films. Really, Chris Pine is good again. I I. 
I've realised that I do really like him, and Gal Gadot, if that's how you say it, is very good as Wonder Woman. Their chemistry is great, and again, there's there's a real bit of emotional resonance at the end. Um, the love story between those two is is the first time since Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies that I've actually like not actively hated the romantic subplot between people in a in a superhero film. Spud from Train Spotting shows up, which was nice. David Fulis is in there as well. Like, there's a lot of oh, nice. good cast. And and I, I say this as someone who doesn't really know much about Wonder Woman going in, but um I have to be careful I word this. It's good, but <laughs> it's probably the worst superhero film I've seen this year. The worst? <laughs> yeah. I preferred Logan, I preferred the Lego Batman movie, and I preferred Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Hmm. It's pretty strong company, though. Yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah. it. It's, it's, you know, it's a good film, and I enjoyed it. I don't know, I can't tell how I feel about DC moving forward. I can't tell if I'm annoyed now, because there's one good film, and Justice League's probably going to be shit, or... Have you heard, by the way, Joss Whedon's uh, taken over Justice League? Oh, yes. He's, he's Under very sad circumstances. Yeah, he's handling post-production, taking over from Zack Snyder due to uh, personal issues. It's the personal issues that Zack Snyder's realised he, can, he can't make films. No, it's his daughter commits suicide. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's yeah. fair enough. Take a bit of time yeah. off. <laughs> um, so he's, he's handling a, a few reshoots and stuff. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if that does anything to salvage it. He, he has said he's going to do mm. it in the style of Zack Snyder, so um, I, I don't know what what well, to expect. But um, have you seen they're also courting Robert Zemeckis to direct the Flash? Oh, I don't think he's officially huh. signed on yet, but it seems like he's going to do it. So um, yeah, there's that's Wonder Woman. <laughs> After Wonder Woman, we did the Mummy, but that's not out yet at the time of recording, so we can't really do anything with it. No, actually, we can't, can we? But we'll um, have to catch up on that one next time. But I do yeah, have a bit yeah. of uh, a bit of dark universe uh, news for you. Oh, they're they're talking to Angelina Jolie to play Bride of Frankenstein again, which is something I I mentioned way back when in our Frankenstein episode when they were trying to get her to direct it. Again, they're going for all these like forty, fifty year olds to play these yeah. parts. Like, why? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, go on. but but yeah, they've just they've they've started like going after her again for that. Um, but just to play it this time, I think rather than direct. And they've there's someone rumored to play the Wolfman. Who, oh. uh, do you guys know about this? No? No. Nicolas Cage. No, huh. no. Alan, um, I think you'll be pleased with this one. Vince Vaughn. No, no. <laughs> oh, is it my new Vince Vaughn, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? It is! Dwayne The Wolfman no. yes. The Rock Johnson. <laughs> oh my god. I can't imagine what that would be like. It's it's a very weird choice, isn't it? Like, it doesn't, very weird. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I mean, okay. Because he's, he's already a big muscular... Like, surely the point of the Wolfman is he's kind of a meek everyman who's then transformed into this hulking predator. So yeah, Dwayne the Wolfman Johnson uh, mm. coming soon. Um, but wow. also, also apparently they've um, they've said that the budgets for the films are going to vary drastically with big, big budget fare like the upcoming Mummy, but also some lower budget, smaller films, which I think is really great news, because that yeah, that I sounds like that. they'll actually be making horror films if they're bringing the budget down. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be huge blockbuster action movies, so yeah, it sounds mm. like they are going to embrace the horror, and uh, I hope it's good. It could really go either way at this point. Mm. Anyway, um, that's it for Dark Universe, I guess, unless... Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll probably talk about the mummy um, next time we do a recap one. So, uh, or if not, when there's a, 
What's the next one coming out? Bride of Frankenstein is that next? Apparently, yeah. And that's for that's for our next review of the year. Thanks again to to everyone who's been listening and. Yeah, can't believe we've made it this far, and I suppose nice. we wouldn't have made it this far if it hadn't been for the continued support and good wishes we get mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the listeners. Uh, we, we've, uh, yeah, we get, we, we're getting more and more uh, action on our Facebook page, comments and, and things. We People keep joining in this discussion about Paris of the Caribbean sounding like Gladiator, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be posting that video up, so you can you can go and listen to your heart's content, everyone. Until next week, when we look at... What are we doing next week? We're back to normal next week, yeah. We're doing Transformers, are we? (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) What's our highest rated one, then? Oh, I didn't give a rating for Wonder Woman, I've just realised. 7 out of 10. Senior 7s. Alright. So what's... what's, um... We gave an 8 to Logan and uh, Aggregate 8 to whatever that other one was that we just talked about. Alien? Yes, Alien Covenant. Oh, two 8 out of 10s. Joint... I think Moana is still the highest rated out of the lot of these then. Hmm. But yeah, like, would you guys agree it's been a pretty decent six months of uh, cinema fun? Or, yeah. Or Alan, yeah. is it mm. just that I've been going to see films that I've like been primed yeah, to enjoy it seems you've been like watching you've, everything? You've missed most of the ones that I've shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I give a lot of fives out, which is just like competently made films, but just I don't know what the point of making them is anymore. Mm. But yeah, the, you watched you watched some good ones there. <sighs> that was a a long one, right? Hope you enjoyed it though. We certainly did. Just as we enjoyed the last year of recording and everything that goes along with it. As we discussed, we'll be back as normal next week with uh, an episode all about Transformers. So come back for that. In the meantime. You, you may have seen, we've just launched a brand spanking new Diminishing Returns website, which is very exciting. So, from now on, for all your Diminishing Returns needs, head over to dimreturns.com. There's a, an episode guide with uh, all sorts of extra information that you might not get from uh, listening to the episode. A, a good example being that we forgot to rate Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 out of 10 in this episode. So if you want to see what Alan and myself gave it, then uh, head over to the website. All the ratings are there. There's an episode guide. There's a blog. There's an archive of reviews written by us. There's some interesting links. There's some fun extra bits and bobs that tie into episodes where appropriate. There's even a, a ranking of the uh, the top 100 films that we've covered on the show, according to our rankings, our ratings out of 10. So as I say, head over there, check it out, bookmark it, use it from now on. Enjoy! Thanks for listening to Mission Returns. This is Teller, or so he claims. 